Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Rachel, you know how you always say that e-commerce is a hands-on keyboard kind of a job? Yep. I know you have a few more years experience in e-commerce than I do, but one of the things I've found super fascinating about e-com is the stuff beyond the keyboard. Like once you place an order, the logistics management is insane. I know it's quite complicated, especially now with the combination of click and collect intermediaries like Instacart and GoPuff. E-commerce is just way more than cardboard, but it's even more than that. You have first-party sellers, third-party sellers, and more retailers are getting into marketplace business. So there are so many ways to buy and fulfill e-commerce purchases. But then how do you get the product to the consumer is also so complicated. Exactly. Plus, because of COVID, more people are buying new things online that they never bought before. So anticipating not just demand of the product, but how they're going to buy it online, in store, it's so challenging to predict. So people keep talking about supply chain and availability, but how much is really talked about fulfillment and inventory management? If you're an e-commerce marketer, you may not be thinking about that earlier this year, but now it's top of mind. It might be the only thing that you're thinking about. And it's the biggest hurdle to jump through and figure out how much storage are you going to need to close to get to the consumer as fast as possible. If Shipageddon has taught us anything, it's that we need to get as close to the consumer as possible with as much inventory at our fingertips so we can predict consumer demand to inventory management. Predictive models without much historical data is super hard. So we are glad that we have someone like David Glick to join us. David spent almost two decades at Amazon in logistics and operation before joining Flex's CTO. Flex helps brands pay as they need for warehousing to handle flexible fulfillment. Let's talk to Dave and get into the belly of the beast of e-commerce. Being able to have Dave Glick, the CTO of Flex, really does talk about what's relevant for the world's biggest brands. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. I think it would be great even just to start. Tell us a little bit about Flex and what made you decide to come out of retirement from Amazon to join this company. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. And thanks, Rachel, for having me. I'm super happy to be here. Flex is a marketplace which matches shippers who need capacity with available capacity in existing 3PLs. 
And so if you think about your traditional 3PL environment, they are batchy. They want you to sign long-term deals, three to five years, potentially with upfront capital costs to put in rack and other things like that. And then you have an EDI integration fee and a warehouse management fee and, and so on and so on. And so by the time you, you, know, you set up a, a 3PL relationship, you may be a million, two million, five million dollars into the deal before you ever ship a unit. The idea behind Flex is it's purely transactional pricing. And so there's no startup cost, there's no long-term contracts. We like to think of it as the physical AWS or the AWS of warehousing in that you only pay for what you use and there's no upfront costs. So that's a little bit about Flex. As you mentioned, Sarah, I left Amazon in 2018 and retired. And, you know, first few months I you know, sat outside in, in the sun and drank wine with my friends and it was great. And then the Seattle rain came and the kids went back to school and my friend moved to Boston. And when you're sitting outside drinking wine during the day with your friends, it's okay. If you're sitting inside alone drinking wine in the rain, then you're an alcoholic. Or it's COVID. Or it's COVID. <laughs> or both. <laughs> I decided I had to do something different. So I started looking around and Scott Jacobson from Madrona, who's our local VC, called me and said, you got to meet these guys. They've got a huge market, great product market fit, um, and they need some help with the product and with execution. Guess what? Madrona's a Micmac investor. Oh, perfect. Um, so we're, we're cousins already. I knew we looked alike. <laughs> I think for our listeners, it would be really helpful context if you can actually define some of the basics around 3PL. Not everyone might be up to speed on what what you're an expert in. Great. So I was at Amazon for 20 years. I did a bunch of different things, but most of them were involved in warehousing. And so my last five or six years, I was the VP of Fulfillment and Logistics Technology, which meant that I owned the warehouse management system and the technology to support a bunch all of Amazon's programs to get products to your door. Amazon, we built everything in-house. But if you're not at Amazon scale, the next best thing is to use a third-party logistics company. And some of those that are most well-known are DHL, XPO, uh, Geodis is a big one in the US. And they will basically build whatever the, whatever you ask them to. If you are setting up your own direct-to-consumer and you don't want to use FBA and you don't want to use Amazon Fulfillment or you, know, you don't want to use walmart.com and Walmart Fulfillment Services, once you sell the product you have to find someone to, to store the product and ship it to the customers. And so that's what third-party logistics firms do. And that's what Flex does. Very helpful. Most of the big CPG brands, do they turn to someone like Amazon to do this or do they turn to Flex? If you think about CPG brands for decades, the path between Procter & Gamble's manufacturing and Walmart stores Walmart's distribution centers are pretty well-worn, right? They've been sending full truckloads of diapers for many years to Walmart. And so over the last, you know, call it 10 or 15 years, people are saying, you need a digital strategy, you need an e-commerce strategy. And for most people, and certainly for the big CPG brands, I think most of their strategy has been, oh, e-commerce, we'll just have Amazon ship our products for us and, and sell our products for us. But at some point, you become sort of wholly dependent on Amazon for the biggest growth part of your business. And it's very simple, right? It's, it's very seductive saying, oh, you know, all we have to do is ship them product just like we used to ship product to Walmart's DCs and they'll take care of all the last mile. They'll take care of the middle mile. They'll manage our inventory. They'll cycle count things for us. And that's very seductive and easy. But they own the customer, uh, Amazon, uh, which I, by the way, love and supportive of, you know, their job is to make the Amazon brand get bigger and the brands who sell on them smaller in some ways, in particular for sellers. And so if you want to own the customer relationship and you're building your brand, 
uh, you need a direct-to-consumer presence, and that means setting up a website, first of all. And there's you know, lots of options for that. Shopify, big commerce, and, and a variety of others can help you with that. Set up a website and, and do the transaction. What, what I always felt was that that's the easy part. And the actual uh, moving of protons and neutrons, <laughs> the, the moving of physical goods is a much harder problem than moving electrons, uh, which is algorithms and taking orders. And so, you know, once you get a website set up and you can drive demand, you need a way to fulfill that demand. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm a sort of myopic guy. And, and to me, like, that's the most important part is like getting products out the door onto customers' doorsteps within a day or two. That's what I think Flex is uniquely positioned to support because if you're P&G or Kraft Heinz or whoever, you're like, man, I need a D2C presence. How much does it cost me to experiment with this? If you go to 3PL and they, you sign a five-year deal with upfront costs and you want to build a three-node network to do two-day shipping or you want to build a nine-node network to do one-day shipping, you may be $10 million into the project before you ever ship a unit. And so going to the VP or the SVP or the CEO and saying, hey, I need $10 million of capital to get into the e-commerce business and I'm not sure it's going to work, that's a hard sell. With Flex, we think our unique proposition is there's no capital. So send us a pallet of macaroni and cheese, send us a couple pallets, put up your website, you know, you can target it to the Chicago area, and I can do it in one day or same day. It's a super compelling proposition because you can say, you know, does today help me? Does one day help me? Does same day help me? Does it work? Will anybody go to my website? And we take care of all the fulfillment pieces. All you have to do is the, the front end targeting. You know, if it works in Chicago and you're like, wow, we're selling a lot. Well, let's do it in New York and let's do it in LA. Just like Amazon has EC2, Elastic Cloud Compute, we are an elastic fulfillment presence, right? So you can start with one, one FC, then move to three, then move to nine. And then if that doesn't work, move back to seven, all with no upfront costs. I think what's happening is there are so many brands right now that are looking to figure out how to make more margin on e-commerce because... I don't know that the incrementality story has really been told nearly as well, but the margin story certainly needs to be. So with that in mind, how do you play a role in doing that? And how do you advise brands to look at that? And I'm not just talking about flex here. I'm talking about your 20 years at Amazon and operations and fulfillment. Where are those margin levers that people may not necessarily think about because they're not getting as much into the belly of the beast as you ever have? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting if you think about at a macroscopic level, e-commerce is much better economically than having a store, right? Because you don't have any store employees and you don't have that uh, rental space and all of those things. And so it doesn't need to be visually pleasing, right? You're just picking stuff off a shelf in, this, in the FC and sending it. To some extent, that's actually a lower cost overall, but you have last mile shipping, right? That's the big bugaboo. If it costs you $8 to pick and pack and ship something, that comes straight out of your margin. And so, you know, the way I think about it from both Amazon's perspective, as well as non-Amazon perspective, you want to be at about $25 ASP, average order size to have enough margin to pay seven, $8 in last mile shipping. That cost of last mile shipping is in many ways directly proportional to how close you have the inventory to customers. And so what you've seen Amazon do over the last few years is put inventory closer and closer to customers. 1999, when I started, 1998, we had two buildings. We had one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. In 2004, we went to about five or six buildings. 
that allowed sort of two-day shipping for most of the country. You know, now Amazon has 200 big boxes and they're building a thousand small delivery stations over the next year. And that is all about putting inventory closer to the customer because it allows you to ship faster, which drives revenue and allows lower cost um, because you're not putting stuff on UPS's planes. Let's take a minute to reflect on what we learned on Brave Commerce during 2020. Heck of a year. Well, I guess the first one is like a little bit of a no-da, but no matter what you're selling, e-commerce demand accelerated at least five years overnight. Absolutely. I think the second major thing that we heard from our guests is that the details really matter. We've spent so many years talking about e-com strategy at a high level, but when the consumer appeared overnight, organizations realized that tactics truly matter. Oh, yeah. And the amount of questions we are all getting from the C-suite about this shows how important it is and how we need that data to support the decisions that are being made. Number three, I think you have to be self-aware about the e-commerce maturity curve and where you sit in it. Are you in the evangelized phase? Is e-commerce its own P&L? Like, where do you sit in that? Both your e-commerce department, but actually more importantly, your entire company and how are you going to behave differently? Number four, we saw a lot of our guests talk about how they're reorganizing their teams. And instead of thinking about e-com as a sales organization, folks are really organizing around the consumer and then around the objective and e-com outcome that they want to make happen with those teams. And I think the last one is almost multifold. So I'm kind of cheating with number five, because on the one hand, people used to think about e-com like it was just Amazon, which was kind of short-sighted, but whatever. But now that the retailers are building out their ad businesses and marketplace to both compete with Amazon and find new revenue streams, that's been pretty transformational. And it's put a lot of pressure internally on brands to figure out how to service and budget for these new channels. And on that note, let's get back to our guest. David, uh, we had the CMO of Petco, Tarek Kassan, onto the show, and he said that one of their competitive value propositions is the fact that they can do e-commerce delivery from the physical stores that are quite local to the end customer. And, you know, I recently read this white paper around the unit economics of last mile delivery, and it was really focusing on like e-grocery, click and collect, the players like Instacart. And what the white paper identified is that this really isn't profitable and that the only way that it could become profitable is if robots are involved. And I know you have strong feelings around robots. (laughs) So when it comes to last mile delivery, robots, like where does this all play out in your mind? Good question. There's lots of things there. One is the, you know, everybody says robots are going to save us. You know, robots are going to make us profitable. Most people fail with robots. I don't know if you saw the article last week that Walmart just stopped doing cycle counting with robots and they started back up and going humans. Tesla famously pulled, you know, they, they built the Model 3 production line with all robots and it was a disaster and they ended up building a tent in the parking lot. Amazon, when I was there in 1999, they built sortation and pick delight and highly automated FCs. And many of the people who were driving that were ex-Walmart folks. And so they built things that are perfect for case pick, but we were picking eaches. And so, you know, it's very important for you to understand your processes and understand your economics and understand your capacity before getting into the robot business or before getting into the automation business. Amazon, again, went back and put in 
tens of thousands of robots over the last five, six, eight years, but they know what they're doing, right? And it's very targeted. So bullish or bearish on the drone situation? I'm super bearish on the drone situation. <laughs> it, you know, maybe get to scale at some point, but Amazon ships 10 billion packages a year or something. And the, the world ships tens of billions of packages a year. And the drones are at two or three packages a year. <laughs> and so there's a long way to scale up drones before it gets as efficient and the processes as well-defined as trucks. Really fascinating. I, I was more worried about the robots taking over my job versus other things, but you know, it sounds like I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to be concerned under any circumstances. Where do we see that robotics are successful or autonomy is successful? I'm a Tesla driver and I see every, every few weeks it gets better, but I still have to have my hands on the wheel. And if, and if I'm not paying attention, I'm still responsible. You know, I would think that the first place we're going to see autonomy is on the highways, on 18-wheelers, Freightliner, Mac, others, I think they may be the same brand, are all coming out with autonomous semis. My mental model is it's easy to drive on the highway. There's well laid out white lines and yellow lines. And so if you had a driver who drove from a fulfillment center out to the truck stop and left the truck there, then the truck drives itself from New York to LA, and then a driver meets it at the truck stop and drives it into town. I would see that as a, you know, as a, the cutting edge of autonomous driving. And then, you know, it may be another five years before we have cars that are actually driving around the city with no actual safety drivers. You know, it's interesting that you you say that because again, we're getting into the the underbelly. A big part of that actually is the trucking business. I keep coming back to the same book. So I just read this book <laughs> I keep talking about called The Secret Life of Groceries. <laughs> and part of it is that the author actually goes on a five-day basically riding shotgun with a trucker going from, you know, a, a manufacturing plant all the way to Aldi's and back and forth and all the pains that goes through that. So you think that that's a place where manufacturers and retailers can find margin or you think that margin goes to the truckers? At, at that point, and maybe I'm speaking the wrong language, I think of it as capacity first and then margin second. You know, we're seeing a huge UPS and FedEx are capping Big companies, I'm sure your customers are having this problem. The demographics of the trucking industry show that there's going to be a shortage of long-haul drivers uh, already today, but even more so in five years. So think about that as a capacity play. The one place where I see it as a margin play, and, and maybe that this is generalizable, is you know Uber and Lyft, what they've done is they've, they've got all the customers, right? They've built the operating system of passengers, and so every, every car company, GM, Ford, Tesla, BMW are saying, we're going to have robo taxis, right? We're going to have these automated vehicles and we're going to have a fleet and you'll never have to buy a car again. But Tesla probably can pull that off. My guess is GM, Ford and Chrysler are going to go to Uber and say, hey, can you run our robo taxi service, whether it's white labeled or not? That business switches from being super negative, margin negative, which it is today, to positive if you take the human drivers out of it. Interesting. So there is a silver lining. <laughs> you know, you you started earlier talking about really this relationship between supply chain fulfillment and go-to-market marketing. It sounds like that's where your company also plays a role. Based on where I sit and everything that I'm seeing in the market, there's very few systems that exist to actually connect ERP data to general marketing data that the CMO's team is activating day in and day out. And COVID has really painted a picture how important it is 
that the marketing team understands how to connect supply to consumer demand. So, you know, given everything that you're doing at Flex, what do you think is preventing marketers today from getting closer to ERP data? Yeah, it's interesting because at Flex, we, we spent a lot of time talking to the chief supply chain officers of these big companies. One of the programs that we have is called Google Free and Fast, where you can put your promise data into a Google ad. And, you know, that's a new program that they just launched with us. And it's interesting because we talked to the chief supply chain officer and that, oh, that sounds like a good idea because we already are putting the inventory close to the customer and we have great promise. And what I found is that the almost always if a chief supply chain officer has an idea, it's DOA when it gets to the CMO. <laughs> and the same is true if you talk to the CMO and, and we're like, oh, we can build you a nine node network and you can do one day shipping. And they go to the supply chain guy and say, oh, we can do this. And that's DOA over there. So it's actually a hard problem because you know, they don't really speak the same language. What we have seen from Amazon and what I believe is that uh, faster shipping drives revenue, full period, full stop. And you know, the, da- the latest data we saw is a 2% uh, acceleration in revenue growth at Amazon in 2019 after they announced and started doing one-day shipping. But think about you know, 1999, we were doing usually ships in 24 to 48 hours, it might get to you sometime and you have to pay for it. And then all of a sudden we had super saver shipping, which was still slow shipping, take a week to get to you, but you don't have to pay for it. And then two day prime and then two hour prime now. And so every time Amazon increases the shipping speed, they sell more stuff. And so, you know, we have lots of customers who want to experiment, do an experiment to see if fast shipping drives revenue. The answer is yes, it does. The experiment has been done. And when we talk to Google and they are, they've started to badge these you know, one-day and two-day shipping promises, they see, I think, a 9% increase in conversion, uh, which is, I think, I'm not a front-end guy, but I think that's like unheard of. Mm-hmm. And so there's a big question of, first, you have to make a big investment to do one-day or two-day shipping, but it's actually not as big an investment if you use Flex because there's no upfront cost. And if a tree falls in the forest, if you make that big investment, and you don't tell anybody about it, what good is it? So if you can, you can have Google badge your one-day shipping or your two-day shipping, and then badge that all the way through from Google to your landing page, to your detail page, to your checkout, all of those things are where you have to continue to reiterate with the customer, hey, you can get this fast. Sarah, we should just quit because <laughs> all we have to do is promote ads with fast shipping. <laughs> I was worried about being replaced by a robot, and now I just have to be replaced by speed, which I guess would make sense. By the way, you know, I, I don't, I'm sure I'm oversimplifying and I don't want to take away anything from what you guys are doing, but I believe that fast shipping is super important. Oh, I was talking about myself as a human being, <laughs> not, not my company. I think, I, th- I think Profitero survives. I really just question my own, you know, hireability in the future. I question that every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get too insecure, I think it's time to, to beef you up, right? David, we are very curious to hear, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? There's a few things, but I think number one, my wife and I both graduated with PhDs and we were living in North Carolina. And after that, I decided I didn't want to be a physicist professionally. And so we basically said, let's find a place where she can get a postdoc and there will be some industry. And we chose Boston, Seattle, or San Francisco. And uh, she got her postdoc at UW, University of Washington. And so we sold all of our furniture, sold everything we had, packed up our dog in the back of my Saturn, 
and we drove, you know, 4,000 miles across the country. And I was unemployed. My wife was making like $30,000 as a postdoc. We ended up living in the basement of a buddy of mine who I'd gone to undergrad with up in Snohomish and with, you know, with no plan for a job. And uh, so that's probably the bravest thing we ever did. That's pretty incredible. Had you not done that, I don't know that you would have ended up in Amazon. That's for sure, right? That's for sure. My life has been full of serendipity, but, um, you know, I was living in my buddy's basement driving myself crazy. And there was a woman who'd left our PhD program to start, who moved out to Seattle as a customer service representative. You know, she was being paid, whatever, $30,000 plus some stock options. And we didn't know what that was. And so she came back and she's like, oh, my stock options are worth a quarter million dollars. I'm like, what? Tell me more about this. And so she was able to get my um, resume in the pile when they happened to be hiring project managers. And I, you know, I kind of came in and said, well, I don't have any experience. I don't have any technical skills, but I'm young and strong and I'm, I'll work hard. And Sarah knows me. And that was enough at the time to, to get through the door. Again, serendipity smiled. That's a fabulous way to wrap this up. Next thing we'll have to do is called serendipity commerce. That, that'll, be, that'll be the sequel to Brave Commerce. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dave, for sharing this context with us. We've had uh, pretty much brands and retailers, but hearing things from your perspective, I really think is going to round out our listeners' knowledge and ability to just dive a little bit deeper. And if nothing else, they, they learned a whole bunch of acronyms. <laughs> Sorry about all the acronyms. No, it's good. It's good. This, this is the kind of stuff you know, we always say, both Rachel and I always say, it's so important to walk a mile in our customer's shoes. And when if they're throwing around the acronyms, we're throwing around the acronyms, you know? Perfect. Thank you very much. And we'll talk soon. Sounds awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. 
Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.